BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. JR impression, and if it wasn't good, well, I didn't go to fucking impression school, so sorry. But anyways, um, hope you guys are having a good week in all in all uh, realness. And um, I've been having a great week. I saw an awesome movie uh, early on Monday called Justice League. Really enjoyed it. I definitely think you guys should go out there. But this is not about Justice League. You know, that's what you guys tune in for Sundays for. It's about wrestling. So let me, of course, first introduce my good buddy and companion and, and, and cohort and, 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 and just team player himself, Mr. Christopher Ray Pogden. How are you doing, Chris? Good, man. Got no complaints. So uh, how much professional wrestling was in the new Justice League movie? Did you get a cameo by the ghost of Macho Man Randy Savage or, or what? Was there any bone saw there? What it is is what it is, brother. Um, no, uh, there's no Macho Man. You know what sucks is that apparently somewhere in Thor Ragnarok, John Cena's in there as, like, some type of character, but you can't tell, so I don't even know why the fuck they told us about that. But, uh, no, no one in Justice League that's a superhero besides, of course, Batman. But, um, aside from that, you know, that's all we got. But, uh, yeah, um... Wrestling, man, and uh, we, we got a Survivor Series coming up, Chris. Are you excited about the Survivor Series? Dude, I hope they all get into the rings with knives and see who shows up and survives. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm super excited. I think it's going to be awesome. The card is stacked. Can't wait to talk about it. 
I just took a five hour. Need to get a little pump up. But um, yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. I'm excited because I really, honestly, and you know, maybe you won't agree with me, maybe you will, uh, Chris. But I feel like WWE has really been doing a good job for a while now uh, with their programming, and I, I think that with the, basically the good is outweighing the bad. Uh, you know, they still make booking mistakes a lot, uh, but at least as far as having good Monday Night Raws and SmackDowns consistently with their pay-per-views, I, I think that Survivor Series is going to be like that. Do you agree to an extent? Uh, I do to an extent. The, the build-up for Survivor Series is always weird just because they don't do enough interbranded stuff beforehand, so it always feels a little rushed on how they build the product going into Survivor Series. But outside of that, I mean, I think the storylines that they were able to tell, uh, being that they had three weeks, maybe four weeks, with Raw and SmackDown versus each other, while continuing to have their weekly shows, was impressive in, in some ways. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's one of those weird situations where they have to get a lot of shit in really quickly because they have two pay-per-views a month leading into Survivor Series for both brands, and they don't do any kind of trading or talking about each brand on each brand other than like, hey, SmackDown's on tomorrow or Raw's on Monday, that kind of thing, you know. So uh, I think they did the best they could do with what they had, and I, I think the lineup they created for the show. Uh, and the matches that they created are very intriguing. So just from a fan perspective, even in like storyline wise, you get hit or miss on some of the survivor series, actual matches, but uh, you know, the, the, the quality of matches they're putting out there on survivor series. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I agree. I agree. Well, let's uh, get into some news before we go into Ross Smackdown and then our predictions for NXT takeover and survivor series. But if you want to call and ask a question, the number is 929-477-3781. You'll be on hold. Press 1. That is 929-477-3781. Uh, hope to hear from you guys. Uh, like we always say, if you, we, we, we love feedback. So remember to you know, go on to Geek Vibes uh, Nation on Facebook and let us know what you think of the show. So uh, let's start off this, Chris. Um, our first topic is a topic that's based of a picture that was on Facebook that I wish I had in front of me, but I didn't even think about. So I'll try to find it while I present it to you. But basically, it's, it's showing the age of the superstars involved in the uh, Survivor Series match and how we're all eagerly anticipating. But does it say something to the fact of, you know, who they have to put in the match, especially with, like, Triple H and John Cena, suddenly to draw more interest in the whole entire match? Um well, I try to find a picture so we can go into specific ages. What do you think about that specifically? Well, basically, the picture itself was a total age of, I think, 204 versus 201, Raw versus SmackDown. Um, thing that intrigued me, and I, I believe I even posted it on the page, is just thinking about, you know, a potential problem within the next five years of some of these guys, uh, such as, you know, Kurt Angle is not going to be wrestling in, in five years. Triple H is 48. He should be dialing it back a little bit himself. Uh, Samoa Joe is 38. Uh, Finn Balor is 36. Samoa Joe, uh, well, I said Samoa Joe. Bobby Roode is 40. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura is 37. Randy Orton's 37. So you look across this, like, list and you realize, you know, the youngest guy in the entire match is Braun Strowman. Uh, and, you know, followed by Finn Balor. 
And you think about the talent that's sitting in NXT and, and some of their ages because they're also indie guys. Uh, so they're not young bucks either in a lot of cases. It makes you wonder what they're going to do to build new talent or are they going to build new talent? Are they going to try to build storylines around um, more part-time guys like Brock Lesnar and, and uh, eventually AJ Styles, I think will wind down if you're talking five years out. Uh, and, and you look at it, and you you got AJ Styles. He's 40 years old. Brock Lesnar's 40 years old. Sheamus is 38 years old. Cesaro, I think, is 36 or 37 years old. Uh, you have the Hardys, who are both up there in age. It, when you start looking at the roster and what and what they have, uh, it's going to be weird to see who they build stars around. I think you know Miz is one of the younger wrestlers on the the Raw roster, if you're not including the guys in the Shield. Um. So it's kind of nuts to think about. And who's well, the Miz is thirty-seven. He's going on. Uh, yeah, he just turned thirty-seven in October. So even he's a, a little bit old. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, yeah, he's well. He did turn thirty-seven. That's right. So he's right there. He's right there with those guys. So I mean, it makes sense why you see them pushing someone like Roman Reigns so hard, uh, who is you know thirty-two, a little younger. He's got uh, a lot more legs underneath him, or. Uh, it's just kind of crazy. Like, I, I don't know what they're going to go. I think Dean Ambrose is 31, and, and I'm not sure where Tyler Black is. The Shield is, is kind of the youngest of those, the group of people. He's also, Tyler Black is also 31. So uh, are, are those going to be the guys that can carry Seth the future Rollins, of, yeah. that, of that business? Or where do, you, where do you think it goes from here? Because right now, looking at the NXT roster, five years from now with what's out there and what's currently out there in the indie scene. If you're talking five years from now um, with a lot of these guys, careers are going to be winding down uh, and, and wanting to work more part-time, not full-time uh, with the, with the way that, you know, raw is constant. They're always traveling. It's, you know, it's basically a 365 day a year job. Uh, I mean, I just kind of wanted to know your thoughts on it and what, what you think they could do or, or tried to do to, uh, to fix a potential problem that's been there for a while, uh, probably even back since like 2012. And they've kind of gotten lucky with the fact that like a huge star like John Cena has been able to do as much as he has for so long, um, as well as a few others like Triple H and uh, Undertaker even um, for such a long time, carry yeah, that WrestleMania because, because, you know, five years from now, these guys are, going to be up there they're going to be in their 40s so yeah i i agree man and i i've been wondering about this too i mean you have to realize or they have to realize that some of the talent that they're not pushing i mean basically if you're if you're talking about finn balor is still a part of i think he's 36 going on 37 so he's still part of the uh the, the last generation he's not part of the new generation and they have I mean, they have some superstars. They still have Roman Reigns. They still have Seth Rollins. They still have Dean Ambrose. They have Aleister Black, uh, you know, who's young, who's going to be coming up uh, pretty soon. They have uh, Johnny Gargano, who's, I believe, 30. Uh, Roderick Strong is 32. Uh, Cassie Sono's older. Shit, even Ty Dillinger is older. Um, All those guys. Bobby Roode is older. Uh, So they're going to have to start – Really pushing these younger dudes. Let's see how uh, how about uh, Almas. He's 28, so Andrade Cien Almas. That's he, I definitely keep him. I really like him in the ring. 
you got to start pushing these younger guys and start getting them a little bit forward because, really, they depend a little bit too much on the older talent. I think that is true to an extent. And even though I love them, a lot of these guys, it sucks because, you know, especially with you, Chris, you watch them in their prime like a Bobby Roode and an AJ Styles, but by the time they get to WWE, and this might even happen to Kenny, you know, now they're they're pushing towards, you know, the, the turning point in their career towards the end. Um and, you know, a lot of them might end up like like Jericho going into, like, 49. Um, I don't think all of them necessarily are going to do that. So the, I see a lot of potential in Patrick Clark, a.k.a. the Velveteen Dream, and Aleister Black, and a lot of the guys in NXT. If they ever give Roderick Strong a chance, he's going to get a little stronger on the mic. Johnny Gargano's a really good in-ring hand. Uh, they got several guys, but, you know, your, your Kenny Omegas, and then even younger than that, um, what's his name? Um, oh man, Matt Matt Riddle, younger dude that would be really good to like turn into something. I think Jeff Cobb's actually a little bit older, uh, but a lot of those guys, Ricochet, shit, even Jay Lethal's only uh, 34, I think. You know, get them involved in the product and start consuming it with a little bit of younger talent. But I think they actually are okay because at least we know that as of now they still have some younger guys coming up in the ranks. But, yeah, it's it's weird when you reflect on that and see that a lot of their talent, even their NXT talent, are close to 40, if not right around 40. And, I mean, when you look at the the New Japan roster and you look at a lot of the Japanese talent, you see that the, coming up through the dojos and stuff, they, they have a good mixture. They have some younger, they have some older top stars. But overall, like, they seem like they're in a pretty good – spot. Uh, something that WWE hasn't been able to do since, to me since the, the 90s to keep themselves young and fresh. Um, but when I look at people like uh, like Tyler Bates and Pete Dunne, for instance, who are both, uh, I think yes. Pete Dunne's like 20 years old, or not, Tyler Bates is like 20 years old and Pete Dunne, I believe, is 24 or 25. Uh, when you think about people like that and, and how they've reached out to the UK, I feel like they're trying to address the uh, problem in some ways. And, and that gives me hope. And, and uh, it's just an interesting thing to think about and just think about the wrestling landscape without, you know, John Cena or triple H being in the ring once a oh, year, man. you know, like triple H is in the ring once or twice a year for the past two or three no years. Brock, I don't no think Lesnar is going to stick around forever. I mean, Lesnar does have the advantage of the laid back schedule. Uh, so that's, you know, a plus on him. And then you look at, you know, people it took so long to get there you look at someone like kevin owens and you you realize he's 33 you know Sami Zayn's right there with him and maybe they're the next guys maybe the shield Sami Zayn, kevin owens are going to be the next guys but uh they are well i mean that makes the most sense them and a couple of the guys that really make a big impact in nxt but it sucks but i mean i don't know if you'll agree with me on this but i really like alistair black and velveteen dream but i feel like they have a better chance doing well in WWE because of their gimmicks, because that's how Vince kind of operates, more so than Roderick Strong and Johnny Gargano, who will probably do, you know, could do well, but I don't think we get pushed as much because they don't have as much of a gimmick. Uh, do you agree to that to an extent? I do, but in, also in some other senses, I think when some of these top stars kind of move aside, they have to find something for these guys to do, right? Because you're going to have to have, like, your top yep. names. If that's their top names five years from now, that's who they got to roll with, whether, you know, they want to or not. And I think in a lot of situations this happened 
to WCW, where WCW heavy booked older talent, and they set on guys with like Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, uh, Dean Malenko, um, Perry Saturn, all of these guys that ended up coming to the WCW, who at the time were younger. We're talking about, you know, 2000s, 2000, 2002, I believe. And that was 15 years ago. And they haven't really had a, a large influx of young talent since then. They, I mean, they've gotten people like Dave Batista, who was older even when they brought him in. They had, you know, Randy Orton, who was a top guy, but is also getting older. He's still young in comparison to uh, some of the other people in this photo. I mean, he's 37, so he's the same age as Nakamura. Yep. He's only one year older than Finn Balor. Um, it took them a long time to start recruiting wrestlers that, that they should have gotten um, to help train some of these younger guys. So like someone like Dolph Ziggler is 35 should be in the prime of his career and they don't really have anything for him to do. I mean, he kind of has a gimmick, but he's not, he's not even on the survivor series card. So, know. you know, and, and that's, it, it's just crazy to think about and they are baiting around like it, it's really going to, the, the match is really going to be carried by to me is going to be carried by probably Samoa Joe, Braun, and Finn Balor because when you look at the the uh, and, and and Bobby Roode will probably be in the mix too with Randy Orton but the the rest of the Raw like John Cena is not going to go all out in a Survivor Series match I just don't see it happening Nakamura hasn't really had that great match since he wrestled Sami Zayn uh, Shane McMahon's match is always going to be a Shane McMahon match it's going to be throwing punches and then hitting spots uh, and selling. So, to me, like, the Raw team is way more interesting in the sense that I, the Triple H is proven. Can I just say, like, does Shane McMahon sell or does he actually just die? Because I think most of the time he's just hurt as shit. And I, I don't know if it's, you know, selling per se, but I just wanted to throw that out there because I was just thinking about his face the other night. And I'm like, God, they fucked him up. Oh, man. I I like to I like to think that he's a lot like Vince McMahon, where he knew he was never going to be the best athlete in the ring and have like a large move set, so he just really learned how to hard sell. Because Vince McMahon used to do the same thing. It looked like he was fucking dying, but he, you know, a lot of the times he was fine. Um, a lot yeah. of the time, not all, not all the time, but like when he blew both his quads out, he was not fine. Oh, God. <laughs> but uh, it's an interesting thing to think about, and. Uh, I don't know. A lot of these guys are going to get far up in their career. Uh, probably well, are going to wrestle actually, at least 45, but it you can't bank on that. And how many of them are going to want to be full-time? Well, that's what that I was going to ask you. Okay, let's, let's also take in the uh, concept, you know, where we are right now in wrestling and um, – how things are nowadays with the with the market uh, of being able to be a successful wrestler on the indie scene. So if they don't try to take advantage of some of the younger talent, you know, we're talking about 34 and under that's within their grasp already, um, they're going to lose out because if people don't go through NXT, your big names that already have like some prestige with them, they're going to be really hard to turn over. You know, guys like Zack Sabre Jr., guys like Kenny Omega. Uh, you know, uh, even um, I'm trying to remember the dude with dreads from uh, from J- New Ju- Japan. Juice, so to... Juice Robinson. I, a lot of people that have already worked with WWE and just didn't work out. Now that they're bigger of a name, 
and they can make money on the independent scene, the Jackson brothers, you know, I mean, a lot of those guys, Jay Lethal has said that he doesn't need the WWE. Uh, so it's going to be hard to persuade some of the bigger names that are indie stars. So you got to basically have your talent that you have within NXT, have them really bankable, and hopefully you can keep on acquiring guys uh, before they become big on their own in the indie scene, you know? For sure. And the other thing is the the style of wrestling. You, It, it seems like they passed on so many guys that were so good, and and a lot of it has to do with maybe they weren't that good at the time, and they honed their craft and they got a lot better, but it's just kind of nuts to think about, man. Like, uh, like Alberto Del Rio, for instance, who's in Impact right now, um, is already over 40 years old. So, like, even on the Impact roster, you start looking at that thing, and it's not the youngest yep. thing around either. And then you look at sure. wrestling in general, and it seems like the only people that are churning out really young talent is, to me, is the U.K., and their training program and what they've been able to do. Um, a lot of cruiserweight guys who've worked the, the indie scene and, and, and you get into new Japan with the young lions and the fact that they make that, you know, such, such a big oh, yeah. deal um, with their training prospects. And it, how, how old do you think Johnny weird. Morrison is? If I'm not mistaken, he was born in 78 or 79. So he's gotta be he's late thirties, right? He's 38. <laughs> like yeah, even so some jeez, it is crazy to think about yeah. the generate. Basically, what we're just realizing, me and Chris, within this whole entire thing, including like your CM Punks, this generation, your AJ Styles, your CM Punks, your Daniel Bryan's, even your Finn Balor's, that's kind of slowly toward you know going towards the end, and the other generations coming into contact. But we don't have a lot of that generation, if you will. And with the WWE specifically, like I already said, the landscape of everything, their, you know, dojo, if you will, is NXT. It's, it's, it's that whole entire program. But a lot of the indie stars that are even younger, like a Will Osprey, who's like, I think, 19, 20, 21, you know, he's making so much money in the indies, he's not going to go to WWE to start off in NXT. Or at least he's going to be a hell of a lot harder to go get than trying to start your own talent. But it's, it's, it's going to be a harder market. And it's just crazy just to realize, I, I think, that this current generation, who's kind of a generation that we grew up with because they're probably like guys all around our age. Well, I mean, I'm only turning 32 and you're younger than me. But I'm just trying to say it's like it's weird to realize that this generation is, is basically getting old. And like Triple H and Chris Jericho, they're going to be gone soon. Kane, Undertaker's probably already gone, you know, Wow, it's it's a really weird Rey Mysterio. Yeah, and it's not just top guys is the crazy part. Like you have someone like Luke Luke Harper who's almost forty. Damn, that's so. So I really and, and like, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the you know, Curtis Axel's in, in his probably late thirties as well. Uh, Carl like Carl Anderson, one of the good brothers is thirty eight, I believe thirty eight or thirty nine. Um, so when you start thinking about the ages, yeah. And old Rusev, you know, and and like you look and you, which is, you know, the great thing about this and this experiment, um, of just talking about these ages is when you look at someone like Xavier Woods, who's 31 
um, in great condition, great shape, has a great personality. Can he be someone that can break out? You know, I Big E so. is also yeah. same age. So, you know, it's cool to think about because it's like, could Xavier Woods be a top guy if they gave him the push? If they gave him the – I mean, he's not their typical top guy. He's under six foot tall. But you're not always going to get six foot five dudes that are within the age range you want and can actually wrestle and can talk on a mic and, and give you what you need. And I think eventually they're going to have to kind of realize that in the same way that a lot of other companies have realized that, you know. So it's just interesting Absolutely. to think about. No, I mean, it's a good conversation, and it's it's like it's just weird because, you know, we were used to the generation that we grew up with, and them turning the older cycle, obviously, people like Undertaker, Kane, Triple H being a part of that, and now there's another one that's it's it's on that same turning path. It's just crazy. Uh, but, you know, we do have a lot of younger talent. Shit, Cody Rhodes is another guy that we even didn't think about. He's 32, and a bunch of other guys that are be coming up in the business, and I'm just really – I'm curious. This also goes by – I'm very curious what's going to happen when Triple H is in charge of WWE. I think that that whole concept just – sometimes I think about it. I'm just like, what exactly – how many changes are going to happen? How is his – I mean, if you if you see what Triple H does, especially with what he did with Britain and trying to get uh, progress involved in stuff and, and working with them, I feel like he's very out of the box and Vince is very – by the books of what, you know, what has been successful for him. And, I mean, that makes sense, but that's another thing. Is like the person that's in charge of WWE, I mean, the future Vince McMahon is Triple H, and eventually he will take a hold of everything. I mean, everything's going to be where he thinks it should go. So, well, obviously, and WWE shareholders. But very, very weird to think about. Um, anyways, let's move on. Because we've talked to this at length. It was a good conversation, though. So if you guys have anything that you want to say to us about that conversation, if you want to make a comment about what we were just talking about, uh, you know, like I said, call 929-477-3781. Press 1, and I will take you off hold, and you can ask a question. Yay! All right. Um, all right, so let's go into some good news and some bad news, Chris. I'll give you the good news first. Apparently, uh, Neville and WWE – uh, are working things out, and Neville's in negotiations to return to WWE soon. Um, my biggest thing is, with this whole entire concept, don't put him in the cruiserweight division. Give him a chance on main. I think that Neville is a strong enough of a heel, or a big enough of a presence, if you will, especially now that you really gave him a lot of character, along with his amazing moveset, that he could do some great damage in a good way. Um, in as a, in terms of a mid belt holder as of right now, because you don't have a lot of competition. Him him against Bourbon or the Miz taking that belt from them and just being a dominant person like he already was in the cruiserweight division and working up like that, he can get very over with the fans too. Um, I think that the only way I would want him in the cruiserweight division, and I don't think they would do this, is if he goes there, challenges um, what you call it, Enzo to a match beats the shit out of him on 205 Live, wins the title, says the title is beneath him, throws it down, says that he'll be somewhere else, and they basically have a tournament, maybe like another Cruiserweight Classic, if you will, smaller, um, to figure out a new champion or some shit like that. And then Neville shows up on SmackDown or Raw trying to get whatever title. But 
I don't want to see him just put back on 2F5 Live. He doesn't want to be there. Um, what do you think that he should do? Or do you think that he should even come back? Maybe he should really pursue the indie career. I feel like uh, if you got the belt on someone like Pete Dunne, you could have a really interesting feud with Neville on 205 Live, especially if you get Tyler Bates involved as well. Uh, I feel like there's some real cool stuff you can do with champion versus champion, um, where maybe Neville gets the Cruiserweight title and you have a champion versus champion match. And and then he can help elevate someone like Pete Dunne to a a higher level since they seem like they're going to be putting him on 205 Live, which I think is a terrible idea, but... Um, Horrible. Something like that. Uh, and then you can, if they, if he wanted to go around, I would really dig like Neville and um, someone like uh, Brian Kendrick in a tag team together. Like, I don't think they think of a lot of creative ways to use these guys. Um, I, in, in a sense, the tag team division is a little thin on Raw. I feel like you could have a 205 Raw tag team. They could be really, really good. Um I also think that it's not acceptable to, to pigeonhole Neville because of his size, because he's probably the same size. If, he's probably a little shorter than Finn Balor, but he definitely looks meaner than Finn Balor. So you have Finn Balor yep. going against Giants. I, at some point, you have to let go of that mindset and just realize Neville is a good worker. I did see some back and forth on the page about whether or not Neville was a good worker and uh, good on the mic. I would, I would uh, say that Neville's King character, uh, the character that he played most recently against the likes of Austin Aries and Tazawa uh, uh, and, and the char- character he portrayed, I thought was very intriguing. And I think a lot, a lot of the reason people don't get it or didn't like it, or maybe thought that he was bad on the mic is because they don't watch 205 live. Um, and they don't give them enough mic time on Raw. And that just goes back to a problem with the product in general. Uh, but I, I thought he was doing great work. And I, for to me, he single-handedly kept that division alive until they sent uh, Enzo down to give them a ratings boost, which I was smart. I mean, it worked. Uh, it's just sad that, you know, him and Austin Aries both were kind of lost because of DVD sales and them not wanting to include the pre-match on the DVD. And that's been, they've both been open about that and talked about it. It's out there. You can read tons of stuff about it. It all comes down to the fact they're not going to get any royalties on DVDs, which is kind of what they went to when they switched from pay-per-views, which bonuses used to come from, as you would know, buy rates, which buy rates don't really occur as much anymore because, like, why would you pay $60 for a pay-per-view when you can pay $10 for WWE Network? So, um that money comes from DVD sales, the, the, the extra ad revenue kind of stuff. So it just sucks. I think it's dumb to lose both of them. They, I mean, if they get Neville back, it's great. And that's awesome. And I'm sure they'll find something for him to do. Um, I think he's too good not to have something for him to do. But uh, for me, I could see him going back to 205 Live and, and getting another title run and then maybe facing off against uh, another UK superstar, like, like I said, Pete Dunne. That'd be a great matchup. They'd have a fucking amazing match. Probably probably the match of the night, depending on what you put it on. Um, no, that, depending on what's built them, around it. Well, with the two of them also having the titles on the line, I mean, I think Neville would be really happy and pleased, even if it was for a short time, if he had both the UK title and the Cruiserweight title. And he's someone good enough where that would be completely believable, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the concept itself. 
Yeah, agreed. And I think that would give him some time off, which I think a lot of that probably had to do with needing some time off because you got to remember that the 205 Live guys, they're traveling Monday for Raw if you're the champion because you're going to be on Raw. And then you're traveling to the next town, SmackDown, um, and wrestling that night. So you're wrestling two nights in a row, plus whatever pay-per-view pre-show you're you're on. And in a lot of ways, they're not treated the same as the main roster, Um, especially someone like Neville who was on the the main roster. So I I understand completely why he's a little bit salty about the whole fucking situation. But I think if you give him the UK title, you can help build that relationship, send over a huge star like Neville, who wrestled there before, you know, to wrestle younger guys. Um, And then that helps, you know, create a talent pool. I, I don't, it's it's simple in concept, but it, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, does WWE want to do that? Hopefully, the answer is yes, and hopefully, we get some good matches between a lot of these UK guys. Because I think, like I said, Neville versus Pete Dunn or Neville versus Tyler Bates would be fucking awesome. They're gonna have an awesome match. Yep. No, I completely agree with you. <laughs> I think there's uh, there's a lot of money with the UK guys, especially. T- Tyler Bate and, uh, well, all three of them um, for, you know, British Strong Style between Pete Dunn, Tyler Bate, and Trent Seven. They all have ridiculous charisma. They're all great in the ring. Um, I just wish, and I, I really think this goes back to Vince versus Triple H. I think that if it was Triple H's thing, you know, he showed up on, what, ICW not too long ago, another uh, organization over in Britain that he's, you know, showed up on their show along with Progress. I think he wants to do stuff. But maybe to Vince, the cruiserweight division is a reason for him not to, you know, try to get another show involved. But he doesn't realize that probably if he'd listened to Triple H on some of the things to do on that or, or not, you know, it, it, it becomes the, the old man in power, I think, on certain things, he's, he's ready to give up. Um, like, all right, for instance, the market in India. I mean, I was listening to Dave Metzler and uh, Brian Alvarez talk about this. Uh, if you guys didn't know about this, they had two shows in India that they were going to sell out and they were going to bring up the market, and that's why Jinder Mahal became the champion and all this type of stuff. Well, they realized that the Indian market wasn't really bringing up anything for them on their network, and apparently the arenas, uh, India charges a ridiculous amount for seats, so they weren't even selling out or doing well with the sales, so they condensed and made one of the shows took it off, put the shows into one. Since they realized their market isn't good, I don't think that's going back to gender anytime soon. They took the belt off of him. You guys obviously know that. And AJ Styles has that. Now, I think Triple H would be still adamant about trying to make things work and try to build a market over there. But I really believe that Vince, since it is Vince and we know him, he's probably just going to say screw it and move on from there. I wouldn't be... You know, and, and Chris said this too, that weird that if in a year the Cruiserweight division's gone uh, because it just didn't work out to his standard. So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about accidentally beforehand about, you know, the passing between the two of them. I feel like when it comes to Britain, Triple H probably does want to do a lot of business over there, and Vince is, just sees it as a hurdle or something like, you know, a money pit. I, I also think it's dumb in some ways to think that a country needs their own resident to be a champion. Um, when everyone he's from Canada too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, 
yeah. That doesn't make him a bigger draw than John Cena in India. Like, I'm sure the the wrestling fans that watch wrestling would still rather see, like, you know, Brock Lesnar or John Cena or Roman Reigns than they would Jinder Mahal because they watch wrestling. Um, he's just not that interesting of a character. Just because he is, like, not only is he not interesting of a character, but he wins shitty every time. He's a bad guy. Fans in general don't, I mean, nowadays, yes, fans are more likely to cheer for bad guys than good guys in a lot of ways, but you still need the top guy, and he's not a top guy. So to to pivot, like, your whole promotional push for a country being that guy, I don't think, I think it's ignorant in a sense. Like, that's like saying that they don't know anything about wrestling, so we're going to give them an Indian champion, and that's immediately going to sell out arenas. And I think that's very short-sighted, slightly slightly fucked up. Um, and it's a very 80s mindset. Uh, and I, very out of the touch. fact that there's multiple, very, the, the fact that there's multiple, you know, board members that think that way, like think about how over, like someone like Okada is, how much he gets talked about in America. He's not American. He's the new Japan champion. He's from Japan. Yeah. Like, or Kenny in Japan. Exactly. If they're a good wrestler, they have a good charisma, they have a good promo, and you can like get across what they're saying in a way that makes sense um, to the people. I think that means more than anything else. I don't necessarily think that they necessarily need to be from a certain place. I mean, no. The, Stone honestly, Cold Steve Austin, Chris, the only time the only time it really worked, I mean, was lightning in a bottle, and that was with Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation, and that's because of the animosity towards Bret Hart from the fans in America, you know, versus how he was in Canada at that time. But I think they think that they can do certain things like that or have a stone cold character. That's the anti-authority. They always try to recycle stuff that's worked out with them naturally. Uh, Later on, they'll go back and try to do it over again and over again. And it seems to me most of the time it doesn't work. It's not only that, but they did it backwards. Instead of making the guy a hero for his country, they made him a bad guy yeah. who won with two other bad guys as a shitty heel who cheated to win every match. Like, who literally would have lost every match that he had the title in if it wasn't for the Bollywood brothers. Uh, or the Singh brothers, as they call them now. So it's, like, hard to get behind that as a fan. Like, that's supposed to be the guy that represents your country, and he's a total scumbag. Like, yeah, the reason Hulk Hogan worked in Japan is because Hulk Hogan was, like, an American hero, and people wanted to see Hulk Hogan lose to their Japanese hero. You know? Like, you can't build it like that. And the fact that he lost, like, a hundred and something matches before he won that Battle Royal and got a random title shot and won the title. Like, people that watch wrestling, like, fans, yes, you're going to garner some interest, but even if you get those fans, the random fans who don't watch wrestling, and then they watch the product for six months, they're still going to think it's complete yeah. nutter bullshit by the end of it. And I think it's stupid to just think just because someone is Indian that the Indian crowd is going to like them. They may fucking hate him, especially if he's a shitbag heel. No, I agree. But uh, we've, we've gone at this at length, but, uh, I mean, it's a great point. And it's just, like I said, I think there is going to be a difference once this change happens. I think Vince is a little bit out of touch. I think he's been like that for a while, um, and I don't think it's going to be any different. He has an older mindset about everything, and it's unfortunate, uh, especially for you know the company, for him to be taking chances and stuff like that, but neither here nor there. 
We need to talk about something else going on, though. Um, James Ellsworth it was released from WWE very uh, publicly, uh, much like they did Emma. Um, Chris, how, how do you feel about this? I'm not a huge fan of the public releases uh, that they've been doing. I think it's kind of like them better to do. I liked it better when it was a little bit more under the table, kind of the guy went his way, or they, they took the guy out in a reasonable manner if they ended up leaving the company. Do sports uh, do they, that or something? Like like football and shit? Yeah, but, like, if we're going to get into, like, <laughs> what WWE should do to, like, kind of be like sports, then we're, we're yeah. going back to trades, actual drafts based on, like, how your brand performed. Uh, salary caps, like that kind of thing would make it more realistic as far as like, oh, we're a sport than how they actually do it, you know? Like, so I, I get why they Good do point. it because what happens is like you see, you see James Ellsworth got yeah. fired and then everybody goes to WWE's website. So it gets views. So they get ad revenue off that crap. And it's just shitty for the, for the workers. Um, outside of that, you know, like releasing James Ellsworth, I don't know what his contract was like, but there's no way that there's not some other people on that roster they could have weeded out before James Ellsworth. I thought he was fine as a manager. It was kind of unique seeing a female have a male manager instead of the other way around. I thought that was kind of neat. Um, I thought the work that he did with AJ Styles and uh, uh, Dean Ambrose was, was fine for what it was. They thrusted him into a position that made fans either love him or hate him. Um, based on their booking. And I felt like that as far as what he was able to accomplish with what he was given is commendable in a sense. And I, I felt like there's some stuff he could have done either on NXT or 205, even if it was putting other people over while still being a manager, that would have been more useful than just saying, Hey, goodbye. Um, so, you know, this is a guy that had merch made. Uh, action figures and shit. So it's it's kind of weird. Emma made a little more sense just because I don't think they knew what to do with her, and she they wasted her with that Emma Emmalina gimmick for a while. Um, so her release kind of seemed to me a bit more obvious, especially because she had some questions on creative, which I would have too if I was her probably. Um, but yeah, the James Ellsworth one was a little just a, a bit surprising. Because, like, honestly, I, I, like I said, I don't know how much he makes, but he's he's got to be bottom of SmackDown as far as, like, his salary goes. I mean, the guy was just trying to achieve a dream of being a WWE wrestler. Um, they gave him five seconds of promo time, was able to get over, uh, which a lot of their talent can't do. <laughs> I mean, he threw out a one-liner and got over with fans. Not with me necessarily, but duh. I, but I, I don't know. I don't know. How do you feel, Dane? Um, I mean, we talked about this, and we don't have to spend too much time. I'm happy for him in a way. I, I forgot which wrestler. Uh, I think it was either Gallus or Anderson said, you know, you got like apparently he's really happy that he was able to accomplish getting an action figure made. Um, you know, being part of a main event on Raw. Like, a lot of his dreams were accomplished that he probably never thought uh, would ever happen. And he's going to have a good year or two on the indies making money and doing appearances, uh, signing and stuff like that. But at the same time, I do have to say that even though I'm not the biggest James Ellsworth fan, he had a personality and he had, 
I guess, notability a little bit. Like, people, you know, know who James Ellsworth is. If you put him on QO5 as a heel, it could have drawn more attention. Uh, very similar to Enzo, honestly. I mean, obviously Enzo's more over, but as far as heels, he's more known and over than Drew Gulag, uh, Tony Nese, Davari. Uh, so you probably could have actually taken him, put him on that aspect, and it could have helped the product. But, you know, this is this is WWE going back to what we said originally. So what do you expect? He's done. Um, but at least he, you know, had a, a pretty damn good run. Uh, even Mick Foley was commenting on that concept. Uh, he had a good run. He made a, he met a lot of his heroes and fellow people in the business. He beat AJ Styles. Um, you know, it's really not that bad to reflect on. It just it probably they could have found something for him. But uh, let's talk about something that's a little more. We were talking about Pete Dunne earlier. Uh, something a little bit cooler, actually. We found out that one of, one of the main events, if not the main event, next week on NXT is going to be Johnny Gargano versus Pete Dunne for the WWE UK title. Um, fuck yeah. That's all I have to say about that match. Love these two guys in the ring. Johnny's already an excellent wrestler and now has formed a relationship, friendship, and mentorship with Shawn Michaels, who's on the uh, road right now at NXT. So, and then Pete Dunne is an incredible technical wrestler. Johnny Gargano, an incredible uh, technical aerial wrestler. They're both really good in the ring. I don't think Johnny's going to win. Um but he's been eating pins and still been strong for a while now. Um, and honestly, until he has his like little back and forth with uh, Ciampa and will beat him, I think inevitably in that whole entire storyline, you know, I don't think it really matters. I think it's going to be a great match. And uh, yeah, I see Pete Dunne obviously going over at the end. Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe they'll put the UK title on Johnny wrestling. I, I, I don't know, Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I think it depends on what they, the plans for Pete Dunne are. If they're just trying to get the title off of him, uh, putting it on Johnny Gargano wouldn't be the worst idea they've ever had. But uh, I think him having the title and putting it on your main products like NXT and, well, not even NXT, but like WWE uh, Raw, for instance, when he shows up for a 205 Live match, I think it draws more attention to it, especially if he's going to be defending it on 205 Live or NXT. So it makes sense. For uh, Gargano to take the pin here, and, and also it helps Pete Dunne a lot. And Pete Dunne's like one of my favorite WWE wrestlers right now. Uh, all of his matches have been great, and yeah. I look forward to what he does going forward. So I, I'm in the same boat as you. I think he ends up winning that TV match. I don't know if it's a title match or not, um, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really fun to see. So I, I'm looking forward to it, and I mean I'm looking forward to NXT for the next like week and a half. So <laughs> I'm really excited about NXT. I love NXT. And I think that we'll be seeing Mr. Ricochet, I'm assuming in the next little while pop up, uh, which would be awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, Pete Dunne's one of my favorite up and coming guys. And Johnny Gargano, honestly, is another guy. I love Johnny wrestling. I think he's great in the ring. So it'll be very interesting. Um, so I got some sad news now, Chris. Sorry for going all over the place with your emotions. But uh, James Storm has been farewell to Impact Wrestling. Uh, he cut a promo, saying goodbye. It was recorded, put on the Internet, because that's what people do. 
And we now know that the Cowboy himself, James Storm, uh, we went from reporting that he was in talks to possibly leaving. He is now leaving Impact. Do you think that he'll hit it on the indies, uh, try to see if WWE would uh, make a try with him, or maybe just hang up his boots altogether? I don't know. It'd be interesting to see WWE make a try for him. Um, I'm going to post one of my favorite James Storm matches right now to Geek 5 Live, which is uh, Bound for Glory 2012, James Storm versus Bobby Roode. Uh, I thought it was a phenomenal match. It would be really interesting to see James Storm. Uh, He's 40. It's weird. it's weird with some of these guys because WWE passed on them for so long, but then you see them sign, you know, like AJ Styles and stuff way later in their career. I think James Storm would be an interesting pick for NXT. Even if it's just NXT, I think that would be a schedule that he could work because, you know, once a week uh, TV tapings. And I kind of wish they would be more lenient with some of these NXT guys uh, on their indie dates and maybe get some indie dates in there. But I would assume he's going to end up in NXT or uh, at least have some matches in Ring of Honor similar to, uh, you know, Bubba Ray Dudley and and kind of what he accomplished. I think they're kind of at the same level. Uh, Obviously, Bubba Ray Dudley as a Bubba Ray Dudley is a tag champion. No, I did not. That's not. I'm excited. But um. Yeah, essentially, I think, like, as singles competitors, they're on the, a similar level. I think Bubba Ray Dudley as a tag team wrestler, of course, is uh, way, way better known and accomplished way more. Uh, but as far as singles competition goes, I think they're on similar levels. I think that James Storm is is really good in ring. He's obviously – he was he was not the strongest in beer money um, because Bobby Roode was there, but he was a damn good wrestler. And uh, right now, you're listening to this show live. There's a YouTube video posted by Keith. Um, but yeah, I, I really like James, the cowboy James storm and I, I would be excited to see him in a WWE ring or an NXT ring, uh, even if they did something similar to Rhino. But I mean, the, you know, the biggest thing would be if you could get like Hardy boys versus, you know, beer money for a one-off match, uh, you get to appease some TNA fans, you get the old school nostalgia of the Hardy boys versus the old school nostalgia for beer money on a one-off match. I think that would be something really, really cool that they could do. Uh, it's sad that they would let someone like James Storm, if he's not choosing to leave, uh, slip through their fingers as impact because he's been such a staple, uh, like a staple for so long for them. So, yeah, he's been a um, a guy over there like uh, Abyss almost, like someone that's strictly been all about TNA and Impact. Uh, besides, obviously going to WWE for what a split second. Um, uh, with NXT or whatever, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see him uh, come into it. I mean, I, I've been saying this for a while. I think Bobby Roode could really use well. First of all, heel turn because I don't know why the fuck they tried to go babyface, but I'm not going to get into that. But his own stable, I, I think that you've already kind of given him a Ric Flair thing. You might as well give him uh, some type of stable or at least guys he can rely on, and to bring James Storm and kind of put him up through that, you know, and talk about that they have history together. It would be really cool. Um, shit, I would just put him, James Storm, and the Revival in a freaking team together. But that's just me fancy booking, so whatever. But I am saying that the Cowboy probably does have something for, I think that the two platforms you said the best, NXT, Ring of Honor, one of them, 
we'll definitely be able to host him and his uh, his wrestling skills for a little while. Who, who knows? Maybe he'll hit a bottle over someone's head in the future. We'll have to wait and see. Last bit of information before we go on with our recaps and our predictions for Survivor Series and TakeOver. Um, Chris Jericho and Vince McMahon are still on good terms. So if everyone was wondering about Y2J going against Kenny Omega, if that had any bearing of, of, of anger on Vince, uh, shortly after that it was reported that someone had talked to Vince McMahon. Apparently he told him that that was negotiated, worked out. Uh, Jericho was about to be off his contract, and he had no problem with him doing that. He then went on Twitter, and apparently Vince doesn't really do this, so he probably had his publicist do it, whatever, and uh, had a, a pretty, not, you know, a decent tweet uh, thanking Chris Jericho for everything and wishing him a happy birthday. And then shortly after that, a couple days ago, Chris was interviewed and asked about it, and his statement was, you know how smart I am throughout my career, and you know the relationship I have with Vince, and I would never jeopardize that or, or give him an, any type of nasty surprises. So I'll just leave it at that. So if anyone's wondering if there's any hostility, I really don't think that Vince should get bad if he's off contract for, for one thing. And for another thing, I don't think Vince really cares or is worried that much with New Japan. If anything, you know, it's a principle I say – that I will relate with an analogy back to a lot of people with Marvel and, and DC movies and how they'll be bandwagon product jumpers and, and, and just like start screaming for their, their corporate company or whatever, like idiots. Um, the more wrestling out there, the more popular, you know, the more popularity it builds, the more people's eyes are on the product, the more, if you're the dominant product, um, you will be getting eyes your way. So, with wrestling, it's like you don't want DC to do bad. You don't want Marvel to do bad if you're on the opposite concept. You want all comp of movies to do well. The leaders in charge want the strength to be the industry so there's an industry for them. If they just dominate the industry, then they're by themselves and there's less of an industry for people to get on board. So that creates, you know, it, it actually hurts the business. It actually makes the popularity go down. So I don't think Vince cares about New Japan. I don't think he's worried about them. If anything, he's just happy that Chris Jericho is able to do something else with his career and go in a different direction. Chris, do you think that I'm crazy for saying any of that? No, I don't at all. And I think in, in another sense, Vince McMahon is a businessman, and he realizes that he owns probably 80 to 85% of everything Chris Jericho has ever done, being that he owns Smoky Mountain, owns WCW, and owns WWE. So if you weren't a Chris Jericho fan beforehand and you see him wrestle Omega – where are you going to go to watch it? Well, you're going to go to the WWE Network. So it's win-win for Vince McMahon in that sense. And then also, if Chris Jericho comes back to WWE after having an amazing match with Kenny Omega, once again, win-win. So there's no reason for him to be salty about this at all. I would say, if anything, it's just going to draw attention WWE and draw attention New Japan. So it's one of these ventures where, like I said, it's a, it's a win-win for both companies. Uh, Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho is a big win. Uh, for New Japan as far as getting American viewers. But uh, it goes back to, you know, Vince McMahon is, like I said, if, if somehow Chris Jericho, if fans, if Chris Jericho fans weren't already Chris Jericho fans, they're going to be checking it out, all of the stuff on the WWE Network. And also, it's just going to draw eyes. If, if Chris Jericho and, you know, Kenny Omega have a four-star, five-star match and Dave Meltzer's gushing over it, it's still good for WWE. 
especially because I think Vince has the money to bring Chris Jericho back, you know, and I don't think Chris Jericho would be against that. So to me, it just makes business sense. It would be a bad, bad for Vince to say anything other than, well, uh, you know, he's not under contract and he can totally do that. And that'll be awesome. Um, and it would also piss off Kenny Omega if he got pissed that him and Chris Jericho were having a match. And if you're trying to sign Kenny Omega, you don't really want to piss him off, as we talked about with the Young Bucks past. So absolutely. Well, not only that, uh, do you agree that to some extent, you know, Chris Jericho talking to Kenny more about WWE-related stuff, which he probably will, because he gushes over how much how great of an experience he's had. You know, maybe could influence Kenny into thinking about it, because we we can tell. Before all this bullshit with the Young Bucks, there was a time period where Kenny was considering going to uh, to the WWE, but he stayed, obviously, with New Japan. So I'm wondering if Vince even thinks about that, that with Chris Jericho over there talking positively about it, maybe that could influence Kenny in the, the future. I would think so. I think bringing a positive face like Chris Jericho when Kenny Omega has been around, say, you know, the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes, who didn't leave on good terms with WWE. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's going to be like a, you know, a major card turner for Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega is going to stay until he wins the New Japan title. So, yeah, at least as far as I can tell from everything you said, he, he wants that fucking title belt. And that's probably going to be at least another year out. Um, but it doesn't hurt anything. And like I said, it's just good business for Vince. Like Vince reacting any other yeah, way yeah. is just bad publicity for the WWE in general. They're going to be like, oh, well, the WWE doesn't want anyone to work anywhere, you know, kind of thing. So for him to come out and, and be positive about it and Chris Jericho to come out and say, hey, look, like Vince didn't say anything about this. He doesn't care. It's, it is what it is. And it be Wrestle Kingdom, which is, you know, New Japan's WrestleMania, still affects the WWE in a positive light. Uh, so just business-wise, yep. it, it just makes sense. It, it seems almost very similar to what WCW had with the NWO, like an invasion angle with Jericho over there. It seems like the WWE's having one of their top guys go over to New Japan to take on their top guy. So if anything, it's just going to circulate more you know, views between the companies. Uh, I, I think this is really cool. And I, I agree with um, – man, Don Callis, he was talking about it on um, – uh, whatever the name of his show is with Lance Storm. It's Killing the Town, I believe. But he said, we'll never get AJ Styles and Shawn Michaels, but this will be pretty much right fucking next to it with Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. And it's like, yeah, these are two top-level competitors. One who's older, but Chris Jericho's <laughs> he's had longevity, and he's worked in the ring amazing his whole entire time. Very much like Shawn, one of his mentor or mentors and, and favorite wrestlers, obviously, too. And you have Kenny, who has a type of respect level with AJ. And honestly, when it comes down to it, if you think about it, by the time Kenny comes to WWE, if that happens, after this next couple of years with, with New Japan, he probably will be closer to what AJ you know was when he signed with WWE, but will probably still have that type of level of you know uh, recognition and and. and will be just as big of a star uh, that they're pushing AJ. Shit, AJ has a title right now because they know that he's probably one of the most comfortable persons, babyface-wise, to put the fucking title on in a situation like they had. So I think that everything's good. I think this will progress a, a, uh, a good situation between two companies. And another thing that I will say, and I mean, you know, if you disagree with me on, on Facebook, let me know, definitely, um, that once Vince is out, 
I don't think Triple H is I, I think Triple H is gonna try to make friends with a lot of people because he's gonna wanna try to like keep wrestling circulating and going. And he realizes that some of the closed minded aspects that Vince has really is going to negatively reflect and hurt the company eventually. So he'll try to like do away with that type of I mean, it's kind of just ego. I mean, really when it comes down to it with Vince. But that's fine. I mean, this is the guy that bought out all the competition with his dad's money when he got a chance to. It's the guy that, you know, Vern Gagne wanted to keep the shit out of him. If you don't know who Vern Gagne is, search him. Uh, hopefully, for not knowing who he is, he's going to stretch you at some point. His <laughs> will stretch you. And what I mean by stretch you is not a weird thing. Don't worry about it. Anyways, before, let's go before on. Before we move on. Uh, uh, next hour, I let's do. talk about Raw and SmackDown. And go over the matches, and then let's go over a little bit of predictions uh, for what's going on weekend. So Raw opened uh, up with Stephanie McMahon. Oh, do you, you have something to say? What's up, buddy? Yeah, I was going to say, before we go on, um, I just want to say, like, everyone's matches. I, I know this. the comparison is like Kenny Omega versus, like, Chris Jericho. I feel like he'd have a better match with Okada. Um, and I, oh, yeah. I hope that they could work something in where – New Japan talent trade with WWE. And maybe that's what they're going for because they've done it with Ring of Honor. And maybe this is the start of that. Because imagine oh, a WrestleMania it. match where you can get Okada versus John Cena. We've talked about it like a bazillion times. Or Tanahashi versus John Cena. Just on a one-off. Yeah. And you, just, think, and you put think... it on both networks. It would be amazing. I mean, we've, we've talked about that type of thing. You go down the list of, of matches. I think with Okada, they might give him a partner that we're not too, we wouldn't be too excited about, but I think they would still have a good match. I'm assuming they put Roman Reigns against him um, for the two, I guess. Well, the thing is, Okada's not really, I think Omega, Tanahashi, and Nato are more the faces of New Japan, and Okada's just the really dominant champion, but he's not really popular, at least as a face or anything like that. Uh, where they're trying to push Roman Reigns, obviously, to be a top face. But as far as, like, the guy that's in charge, or the, the back the, the back room, locker room leader, Roman Reigns is one side, and is kind of the ace, if you will. He's the one who's doing that now over there. I don't know. There's a lot of situations, though. I don't care if they have whatever. Like I said, if Jericho stays around, I want him and Tanahashi to have a match. I think that would be excellent. And I, I think this is a great way to leeway to that, um, in a sense, Absolutely. where you're like, hey, you like you like Chris Jericho? How how do you like do you like Seth Rollins? Like, if you can get one guy back for one guy over for a couple weeks, like WWE used to do in the '80s, uh, or WWE amazing. used to do in the '80s, it would be amazing, and it's smart business for everyone involved, especially if you can show it in multiple, um, not necessarily. WrestleMania style where they showed it in two different arenas at two different times. And that was fucking weird, but you can have it on both networks. Um, I feel like there's a way to work that out uh, and make it really well and good. And, and I hope that when you talk about triple H taking over before we moved on, when you brought that back up, it just made me really want to radiate reiterate working with your competition is not always a bad thing. It worked really well for no. WCW. Um, with AAA and New Japan and All Japan, and the well, fact that the, WWE look at the scenario right now. I'm I'm, not, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, and I'll let you finish your statement. But look at the scenario right now about people sharing uh, Impact with AAA. 
uh, and technically Lucha Underground was with AAA. Uh, then you have, uh, which I'm happy to say, Lucha Underground is going to be around for another season. I just don't know what talent they're going to have because uh, Rey Mysterio's gone, Prince Puma's gone. They're losing a lot of guys, but that's beside the point. But then also Ring of Honor with New Japan, and um, obviously WWE with ICW and Progress. Like, it's really good, I think, to work with your competition because you guys just create revenue between each other, like, you know, sharing each other's talent. Yeah, and and you could also get into a situation where you could have a pay-per-view again. Even though you have these individual networks, if you can build a good enough card that I can only see it on pay-per-view, I'm going to pay the fucking money to see it on pay-per-view. I already pay the money to see Wrestle Kingdom. (laughs) So, you know, like, it's one of those things where it's like, if you make it good enough, people will come. Um, If you build it, they will come. Exactly. Uh, I'm I'm all for this Chris Jericho thing. Um, I would love to see him go against Okada. I would also see – I would love to see Okada versus John Cena. I think he would bring out, like, next-level John Cena. Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I would also love Okada versus uh, – Okada as champion versus AJ Styles as champion because AJ Absolutely. Styles, you know, beat Okada for the title in I don't Japan. Even think, I don't even think that uh, he knows he exists, but I'm just saying I would love to see Okada and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I don't think it would ever happen – but, my God, I think between the two of them, that stare down by itself would be fucking tantalizing. But, yes. you know, that, the thing is with Okada, what's great about him is he's such an ancillary great wrestler is that he can make anyone look good. So, even someone that's, you know, we, we, we've talked, they probably put him against Roman Reigns. I think Roman Reigns is a good ring, in-ring hand, much like his cousin The Rock, but not as good to Okada. But still, he's, he's incredible. He's one of the best wrestlers Right now, I mean, you, I don't know. I mean, they can do so much. And what, what's great is that there will be more talent to WWE soon because, because of NXT. I think in the next couple of years, we're going to be seeing a lot, like I keep on saying, and I mean, it's just my opinion, obviously. But with Patrick Clark as a Velveteen Dream or Aleister Black, some, some of those guys, I think they're going to be pushed to the top. So I really do hope this happens. And I don't think it's it, it's crazy I don't think it, 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 it's insane or anything like that. I think that there will be some type of uh, crossover potential in the next, like, five years between New Japan and WWE because they'll realize it's money and it'll probably be when Vince McMahon's out of the picture so that he can't, like, you know, just be prideful and with his ego about, I'm the only brand on the, you know, that whole concept. I, I just don't get it. But anyways, uh, any last statements before we go on to Raw, Chris? No, and I'm sorry that I drug this out as long as I did, but I just wanted to make the point that, like, you're leaving money on the table for no reason by not having some of these big New Japan stars, um, even if they work for New Japan. Like, figure that shit out. Make it happen. Fans will pay to see it. Some fans will pay a lot of money to see it, like maybe 60 bucks on a pay-per-view. <laughs> so... Uh, not that I want to go Are back to the Are you giving them your but... price? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just, I'm just saying, throw, throw it out there. Like, if anyone's listening, maybe, maybe get John Morrison and and uh, Ricochet and a few other guys. Let's let's do a whole battle. Let's have an actual war game. Let's have a company war game. Let's get Jay Lethal. Y'all figure it out. Let's put the profit. That's funny. You know what? I, I had a I had a match uh, on um, 
WWE2K the other day that was an eight-man elimination battle royal, and I had all the champions of the major organizations. So I had it was Brock Lesnar versus AJ Styles versus Tim Storm, who's the NWA champion, if you guys didn't know that out there. I've been actually uh, getting a little bit behind uh, NWA because I heard an interview with Billy Corgan, but I don't want to get into all that. Um, so also Eli Drake was in there. Um, Johnny Morrison, who's AAA and the Lucha Underground champion. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr., who's the Evolve, the PW, uh, PWG, and also the uh, one of the Britain uh, champions. But it was a great match is what I'm trying to say. Oh, and Okada, and Okada. And uh, Okada beat me, actually, and I was pissed off. I was AJ Styles. So, fuck Okada. He's a douchebag. <laughs> Tim Storm lasted the whole entire time. He almost eliminated Brock Lesnar. I actually had to stop the pin because I was like, no, 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 no. 53-year-old Tim Storm, NWA champion, is not going to beat Brock Lesnar. That's where I draw the line, Chris. That makes sense, man. Can't you can't have Lesnar going out like that? It's going to be bad for booking going forward. Yeah, it just it just that's bad booking. That's 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 some some horrible stuff. Let's let's go over Raw, okay? All right, so I'm going to give you a couple yeah. segments, and you're going to tell me how you think about them, and then uh, we'll go from there. So we got three of them. Raw opened with Stephanie McMahon chastising Kurt Angle, demanding Shane McMahon's head on a plate, and threatening to fire him before being interrupted by The Shield. Uh, returning Roman Reigns challenged New Day to a match Survivor Series, something I called, by the way, for everyone listening several weeks ago, because I got this brain in here. It's okay. Chris is also a pretty good uh, person with the, the magic ball, if you will. He he uh, thought about the Hardys, and I didn't even believe that. So we're, we're actually uh, telepathetic or whatever the hell the word is. Telepathetic, yeah. Um <laughs> So the next match was a triple threat match. It was Bailey uh, defeated both Mickey James and Dana Brooke. Uh, Oscar, Nijax, Alicia Fox, and Sasha Banks were all at ringside. Bailey pinned James with a belly to belly to win the match and become the fifth member of Raw's Survivor Series team. Uh, there was a great part where, for some reason, Dana Brooke was pissed and she fucked with Oscar. Oh no, that's right. Oscar was trying to help her up off the ground and she started like flipping out on her. So Asuka beat the crap out of her. I don't remember this being a no disqualification match, but I'm pretty sure, I mean, unless you tell me I'm wrong about this, that if someone comes and attacks someone, that the whole match is over because of disqualification. But maybe I wasn't paying attention to the stipulations for the three-way. I don't know. All I know is that what I thought was going to happen happened. Um, I either said Mickey James or Bailey, and Dana Brooks is going to be just – Completely pointless in this whole entire thing. I don't even remember Dana Brooks' name when I brought this up to you last week, Chris. But Bailey ended up winning. I thought that was going to happen. How would you feel about the match? And also the opening. I, I thought the match was fine. Apparently, whenever they do any multi-person match, it's no DQ. Uh, they've been doing that what? for a while. So six-packs challenges are no DQ. Four-man challenges are no DQ. Unless they put a disqualification stipulation on it ahead of time, just assume it's a no DQ match. Because over the past year, every multi-person match they've had where it's a single fall um, has been no disqualification. And I'm all, I'm sure that all the Survivor Series matches are going to be no disqualification too. Any of those multi-man tag matches are going to be no disqualification. Uh, maybe with the exception the Shield versus... Well, actually, I take that back. That'll probably be no DQ too. <laughs> so... 
Um, or the ref will take a bump because I feel like the Shield's going to put someone through a table. Spoiler alert for Survivor Series. But uh, I thought the match was good. Mickey James looked really good in the match. Uh, Mickey James, you're gorgeous. I love you. Uh, Dana Brooke, you're also gorgeous. I love you. And uh, Bailey winning here made the most sense. So I was fine with it. I just that that Bailey to belly splash is so lame. Taking out a legend like Mickey James just coming off a title loss. Uh, they they should have put the pin on Dana Brooke to be honest, unless Mickey James is on her way yeah. out. Uh, but other than that, you know the the match was fine. It it built towards Survivor Series. It showed that they had some team strength, which is what they were trying to get over because that's what they were building to going into SmackDown. So overall, the booking of this match, I didn't hate other than Mickey James eating the pin. Unless, like I said, they're going to let her contract up whenever it ends and she's just going to be gone. Which, if so, I hope that Impact will take you back and you can do some cool stuff there um, or Shimmer or something. Because, I, like I said, I love Mickey James. Huge Mickey James mark. Always have been. Um, and then as far as the opening segment, Kurt Angle gave her exactly what she wanted on SmackDown. So this segment worked for me. If they didn't deliver, if they didn't beat the shit out of Shane McMahon like they did on SmackDown, which we'll take a, talk about later, uh, this this would have been a really annoying segment just because it's Stephanie McMahon doing the same thing that she did to McFoley, which I fucking hate. Like, Kurt Angle should just give her the Olympic slam. Like he's, why would he be scared of Triple H? He beat Triple H multiple times. They're the same age. So it's different when it's McFoley and you, they can repeatedly show him flying off a hell in a cell through, like, 85 tables or whatever. But with Kurt Angle, eventually he's got to snap and fight Triple H. So I hope they're building to that with this whole chastising thing, because otherwise it's really annoying. But I do like that Kurt Angle came through on his side on SmackDown. So overall, I like this segment okay, and I like the first match okay. It wasn't great, um, but it was enjoyable, and I like the uh, the fact that they're going to try to they're kind of pitting Oscar against Nia Jax. Uh, I feel bad for Nia Jax because I feel like they're going to use this match for Oscar to beat the shit out of Nia Jax, win Survivor Series, and then go on to beat Nia Jax in the single feed is my guess. So that's that's the first two seconds. That's the only one she mentioned, right? Yeah, just the first two. Okay. I didn't miss anything. Okay, cool. I think I nailed it all. <laughs> you did a great job. I'm proud of you. All right. So let me throw a couple more at you. So we have Enzo Moore and Drew Gulak come out to the ring. And, uh, dude, I have to say, I really like Drew Gulak. I think he's hilarious. I think he's a good in ring wrestler. And I like this whole gimmick of his. Um, he's another guy where it's like, I feel like if they try to do that on the main, you know, card as him being like a smaller guy, like, you know, how they kind of treat, uh, what's his name? Uh, Guy who sings all the time on SmackDown. I sound like some guy from Jersey that's like dumb. Like you know the guy that sings and he does the thing on SmackDown about Rusev. But if they gave him like a spot like that, um, I think he would shine pretty well. I, I think he's very funny and I like his uh, whole gimmick. But anyways, uh, he was with Enzo Moore. They defeated Kalisto and Akira Tozawa, more pin Tozawa with a Jadonzo. The bars were guests on Ms. TV. This was just to add hype to the six-man tag for later in the night. Uh, and also, Jason Jordan defeated Bray Wyatt. Uh, Jordan defeated the returning Wyatt with the roll-up after the match 
Wyatt attacked Jordan and injured his leg, which would cause so much controversy. Later on, for the relationship of son and father, Chris, how did these affect you? Well, I'll go on to say that the uh, Drew Gallick gimmick, you're, you're thinking of Aiden English, and I think that you're right in a similar fashion. They couldn't be on the same brand to got together, but they could do similar things. Uh, and it's it's interesting. I like it. And I also liked how Enzo Amore no-sold a lot of it and kind of down-talked him because he is the champ. And that's kind of Enzo's character. Uh, overall, you know, he got the pin on Tazawa uh, and not Kalisto, so it still builds to their match. So I had no problem with the match. I thought it was fine. It wasn't anything special. I don't think you should have to go back and watch it if you're watching this on Hulu later after you hear this podcast. Probably skip this one, but uh, yeah. Uh, then the Jason Jordan thing where he defeated Bray Wyatt, this made sense because fans are behind Jordan at all. Uh, so this gives Bray Wyatt something to do. Might even turn the fans a little bit towards Bray Wyatt more than what he was, because Bray Wyatt, if you recall, just a little bit ago was doing his Sister Abigail thing, which the internet was completely against, so maybe they're just going to avoid that altogether and go with Jason Jordan versus normal-ass Bray Wyatt and have Bray Wyatt destroy Jason Jordan. Um, They could go the other route and turn Jason Jordan heel, but uh, either way, I, I didn't hate the attack the the match itself was, you know, what is what it is a roll up pin. So it's just one of those kind of matches setting up an angle. I agree with you. Yep. Um, so we keep on going in a promotion uh, featuring the decimation of a fan wedding proposal. Paul Heyman put over AJ Styles, but said Brock Lesnar at Survivor Series, and then. Uh, what else? What else do we have? Uh, the Shield defeated the Miz in the bar. The Shield won the match with a spear and a triple power bomb on the Miz. I have to say, really, the Shield looked good in the ring. Um, I've seen a little bit of their past as a three-man tag, um, and it's good to say that they definitely have chemistry. And all of them seem like they're having a lot of fun while doing this, especially Seth Rollins. He looks like he's having the most fun. Uh, I would say Dean's the most into it, but I just think that he's always kind of crazy like that. And who knows? Um, I will also say that I kind of forgot, but my God, they were really behind Roman Reigns at the beginning of the night. They cheered him, and uh, he's getting better on the mic as well. So, uh, Chris, between the promo that Paul Heyman said about AJ Styles losing to Brock Lesnar while a little bit of a proposal was going on in the audience, and also the Shield defeating The Miz in the bar, what did you think about that? Uh, I thought it was good to get Paul Heyman some heat because a lot of times fans cheer for Paul Heyman, and obviously they want Brock Lesnar to be the bad guy in this match against AJ Styles. They want fans to cheer for AJ Styles because he's on week after week. So it kind of made sense. I mean, it obviously was set up a bit. And the fans probably either if either they weren't really – it wasn't really a proposal or they definitely were in on it and be like, how cool would a proposal be if Paul Heyman cut us off, like in the middle of it kind of thing. So – uh, I had no problem with it. And, you know, as always, Paul Heyman cut a good promo. It would be awesome if AJ Styles beats Brock Lesnar because Brock Lesnar doesn't have to drop the title. It doesn't really hurt Brock at all because um, they're not on the same brand. You could possibly set up a WrestleMania match for unification of titles if you want to get away from the brand split. 
So hopefully AJ Styles comes out on top, and I'm assuming they're just going to have Brock Lesnar be AJ Styles based on how they booked AJ Styles other than him winning the title. Uh, and then the Shield, I agree with you completely. Uh, I feel bad for the Miz a little bit because he's kind of just caught up in this because he's their top mid-card guy. Um, so it sucks that he's always kind of taking the brunt of the Shield constantly, knowing the Miz is never going to get, like, any kind of payback. Uh, I'm assuming once the Shield beats, you know, New Day, they'll feud with the bar to get the titles back or, or whatever they're going to do there. But, yeah, overall, it, it was fine. I'm just not too stoked on the Miz being a part of this in general. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. The fans are more behind Roman Reigns when he's part of the Shield. But that's because they're more behind Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins. I don't necessarily know that it's a Roman Reigns thing. Um, I think they do really love the Shield. So as long as Roman Reigns is part of the Shield, they're probably going to cheer him a little bit more than they normally do. Yep, and I agree with uh, several people online that – well, online, but the people I listen to on podcasts and stuff like that have said that the smartest thing to do if you're trying to get Roman over is if he's really going to go against Brock Lesnar and probably beat him at Mania for the title – Keep Shield going until Mania at this point because it, it, it at least gives him a rub. Um, at first, I didn't want it around that long, but I think that if that's their end game, that that probably might be the best thing to do uh, because it is at least putting him over. And while that, he's getting more comfortable on the mic, something that has been progressing since John Cena. So hopefully the combination can get you to that next point with them. Um, who knows? But uh, let's continue going down. We had a segment where Jason Jordan begged Kurt Angle to take him off or to not take him off the Survivor's team due to his injury. Angle hesitated to make the announcement. I wanted him to be like, look, like, I'm sorry, but I'm not losing my job because I decided to put you on the team and now your, your, your legs mess up. Like, come on. I mean, it's, Jason, just get over it. I do have to say Jason Jordan was good with his performance. Uh, really, really look conflicting with them. Since Angle hesitated to make the announcement, we had Stephanie come out, uh, and then she basically was persuading him he wouldn't do it. Triple H came to the ring and said that he had joined Team Raw and Pedigree Jordan uh, right in front of them. And I think that since they did so, so uh, quickly, like I remember here, like listening to Dave Metzler, and he was he had a problem with it. But I think that Triple H pedigreed. Jason Jordan got out of the ring so quickly that it didn't give Kurt enough time to be able to do anything. Cause obviously if your son just gets pedigreed in front of you, you're probably going to go after the dude real quickly, especially if you're Kurt angle. But I think they did it to me at least suitably. And I like that. And then having triple H reveal that he's an ex participant in survivor series instead of Jason Jordan. Yeah. I'm going to mark Owen over that. What, what do you expect? I mean, now it just became much more intriguing. Uh, all right, after that, Finn Balor and Samoa Joe defeated Luke Gallows and Carly Anderson. I really wish that when Kurt Angle set up this match that Finn Balor would have had, like, some type of hesitation. Um, but I guess they don't really care about that, which is not really that big of a deal. Him and Samoa Joe have good in-ring chemistry as a tag team. Um, they're both really good wrestlers. Balor pinned Anderson after the Coupe de Gras. That's all you really got. And then we have the last match, Chris, Braun Strowman versus Kane. And in a no contest, when Braun power slammed Kane through the ring, and neither man recovered. Uh, one thing dumb by them on this, though, 
So apparently, you know, if you watch the video, they have a video on uh, WWE of what happened afterwards. And right after they went off air, Braun Strowman came out of the hole. So I don't know if that was bad, like that we were supposed to see that, or they just cut it off and let him do it afterwards. Either way, it would have made it much stronger if we saw Braun come out of the hole. Uh, but whatever, it was just two big guys having their, uh, you know, their end-all feud, if you will, uh, that started at the last pay-per-view. And uh, Braun Strowman came off on top, I guess, since he put came through the ring. I don't really know. So out of these three segments, Chris, if you can remember all this, what do you think about it? All right, so right off the bat, I want to talk about the last thing you, you brought up with Braun Strowman versus Kane. Um, my biggest problem with this is the, the slam through the, the ring. The entire reason the ring thing worked with Big Show so effectively and and built such a good feud was because it hadn't been done in so long. Last time was Mark Henry versus the Big Show when they did it. That was like three or four years before they did it again. Um, if you do this every six to seven months, it's not effective. People just expect the ring to break when Braun Strowman slams anyone that's of any size. Uh and this is something they could have saved for someone like Brock Lesnar if they really wanted to put Braun Strowman over. So to me, I fucking hated it. I hated the segment. Um, them putting it on Twitter and their Facebook afterwards is just them trying to pop ad revenue for Twitter and Facebook or just get views on the internet. So that part I understand completely. But also, if you go to the well too many times, man, it goes dry. So they really need to cut out the, the ring breaking, um, to be honest. Whether it's on the outside, inside, it doesn't matter. They just need to get away from the ring. He could have easily have just demolished Kane for a double count out, and no one would have cared. It would have been the same. It would have had the same effect. Um, because when you do this thing too often, the fact that he slammed someone through a ring and he just did it you know, four months ago, it doesn't have the same effect for someone that watches your product on a weekly basis. Uh, Finn Balor and Samoa Joe defeated Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. Uh, I thought it was fine. The two needed to win, especially because Samoa Joe just came back. It sucks for Gallows and Anderson. I, they don't know what to do with them. Uh, I don't know. The match was, was good. I mean, they're all really good wrestlers, so they had a good match. Uh, the Jason Jordan thing, where he's begging Kurt Angle you know, not to be taken off the team, made sense because he's, you know, he's supposed to be Kurt Angle's son. Um, what I want out of this, I do, I do think it was cut short, like you said, and a lot of that has to do with it being live TV. And sometimes they go a little over on their promos, especially someone like Jason Jordan, where he's not super comfortable with the scripted lines he's given. So it's drawn out a little bit longer. Uh, so I think there was going to be more to this than there was, but it's a hard cutoff, right? So, um, what I want from this is I want Triple H to eat a pin because of Kurt Angle and Kurt Angle to have some kind of no-fire clause in his contract. Play up the fact that his lawyer drew up a solid steel contract or something where he's, I'm here until I'm not here anymore. Like, I, the day I became GM is the day I'm going to leave as GM if you want to fire me kind of thing. And then that sets up, Kurt Angle versus Triple H, which is a match I think I still think they're going to build that match for WrestleMania. Um, so to me, it makes sense if they're going to go that way. If they're not going to go that way, then 
I don't know. Maybe they're setting up Kevin Owens versus uh, Triple H or something down the line because I feel like Triple H might come out just attack Triple H um, to get in Shane McMahon's favor or something. But I really do think Kurt Angle might just give Triple H an Olympic slam and then whoever's left in the ring on the SmackDown side might get the pin at Survivor Series. I do like that a lot to lead up to uh, Triple H and and, uh, Kurt Angle. But you brought up Shane McMahon, and uh, let's go into SmackDown now. So the show opened with Shane McMahon giving the SmackDown roster a pep talk in the back. It was awful. (laughs) So damn cheesy. Uh, In the arena, Daniel Bryan made his return and said, uh, just like SmackDown Live, he doesn't stay down. Bryan invited new WWE champion AJ Styles to ring and offered to be Styles' personal advocate for the night. Bryan Styles talked about the match against Brock Lesnar on Sunday and Styles vowed to emerge victorious. It was really cool. Uh, Daniel Bryan put AJ Styles over, uh, cut a great promo. I really hope that either he's working stuff out with WWE or he does plan on coming back because if he's, you know, if he's, like he was on saying, uh, you know, having a lot of progress with that treatment he's been doing and has been cleared by so many doctors, if he wants to come back, Daniel Bryan is one hell of a fucking wrestler all around. Great wrestler, great promo, great everything. Energy, he's beloved by the fans. Uh, I, someone said, I think it was uh, Brian Alvarez said that his what he just what he cut for AJ Styles, he felt like that was probably Daniel Bryan. He had a promo in mind from when he was supposed to go against Brock Lesnar before he got hurt and everything. So uh, it was great to see him call him out for losing to a crappy armbar or whatever he said. Just just good stuff, and I love seeing him put AJ Styles over. AJ Styles is one of my favorite wrestlers, so that was great. The opening was really cheesy. After that, uh, they had the WWE USA Championship match. Baron Corbin defeated Sin Cara. Corbin hit the end of the day as pin Sin Cara to retain the title. It was actually a pretty good match. Uh, Sin Cara is a pretty damn good in-ring wrestler. And I see a lot of people don't like Baron Corbin. I think he's kind of like Keanu Reeves with his gimmick. But I think for a big guy, he's actually not a bad wrestler at all. He kind of reminds me, like I've said before, Brian Adams to an extent, just, you know, for his size, being able to run and hit these fast but power moves. Uh, I like, like I've like me and uh, Chris have joked around, he's got one of the best finishers in the end of days. So devastating looking, but good match, good opening. Chris, how did you feel? Well, yeah, man. I mean, like Brian Adams, didn't Brian Adams also do the, Flatliner. Yeah. So end of days is just like a, uh, <laughs> like kind of a tucked in flatliner. If you think about it, he pulls him back really far and then does a flatliner. So maybe, maybe we're just Brian Adams marks. <laughs> basically. So, so basically Baron Corbin should go by crush at some point in his career. Cause we're just huge marks. Um, no, I, I thought the match was fine. It kind of sucked for Sin Cara because I thought they did a lot. Like, Baron Corbin helped get him over a lot with the whole mask thing recently. And I was hoping they were going to do more with that. Um, maybe even not have this match and have Sin Cara cost him against The Miz. You know, Baron Corbin destroys The Miz-tourage, um, is about to beat The Miz, and then out comes Sin Cara or something cool like that to set up a, a feud down the line. Because I think... They were doing a good job of building Sin Cara up as a, a threat against Baron Corbin just because he was disrespecting luchadors uh, in the past couple weeks, you know? So I get why they did it. 
they did a short-term feud with Sin Cara. It kind of sucks for Sin Cara, though. Uh, but the match was really good. Like you said, I thought it was a really good match. And then the um, the advocate for AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan's just – he's so great in every aspect of wrestling. And he's going to go so underappreciated in a lot of, lot of ways because his time at the top was so small, um, which sucks. And hopefully he can come back and have a match or go to New Japan and have some great matches because I really want that for him. So if all the if everything the doctors are saying is true and he is good to go and WWE just won't let him go because stockholders or whatever, um, as he said, then you know a year from now if he goes to New Japan and has like six great matches, then so be it. At least he goes out on the high note because uh, he's fucking great. And so is AJ Styles. AJ Styles is great. Uh, I do have one qualm with AJ Styles. I do not remember him coming out at the end of the night when SmackDown was getting their asses kicked. And maybe I missed the him leaving the arena segment, but I thought for sure he was going to have the Stone Cold moment to come out and clean the ring and, and save Shane McMahon. And it didn't happen. I thought they missed a fucking golden opportunity for that to help put AJ Styles. No, him, him, him and Randy Orton uh, apparently left before that whole entire thing. Which, to me, those are the two guys, right? Like, that's what that <laughs> would have put them over. Like, they, like, how did they miss that? Like, AJ Styles coming out with a chair and cleaning fucking house against Braun Strowman and, like, or cleaning house against everyone else and then Braun Strowman beating him up and then out of nowhere, RKO on Braun Strowman. Fucking done. It would have been awesome. Um, I get why yeah. they didn't do that, but at the same time, you could have put over two superstars really huge by doing that. Well, I'm not making anyone else. If you want to get week. super crazy, Chris, all of a sudden John Cena's music hits, and John Cena runs to the ring and represents SmackDown since at least he's involved in the match, regardless if he's a free agent, cleans the ring. I mean, they could have – there's several things they could have done. Uh, I, yeah. I, I mean, was awkward. I hate, yeah. That, I mean, the problem the, – the awkward part was, like, half the SmackDown team wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's what made it awkward. Like, even if they did something where, like, everyone came out and then, like, AJ Styles came out and then all of a sudden Brock Lesnar came out, would have been a much better ending. Like, probably worth the extra Brock Lesnar paycheck when you think about ad revenue on WWE's website. But, well, well, actually, we've already talked about it. That was it. Like, that's how I felt about the end segment. So I guess we can skip that one. (laughs) All right, we'll, we'll continue with the rest of it, at least. Uh, backstage, Daniel Bryan said to that after Survivor Series, he would need to have a conversation with Shane McMahon to make sure they're on the same page. I love that Stephanie can completely destroy, you know, both Mick and Kurt if she wants to. On this one, uh, no, Daniel Bryan needs to have a conversation with you, man, after all of this. He's not happy. So watch out, because I would not want to mess with Daniel Bryan. All right, after that, we had an awesome – match, I kind of figured, uh, like, beforehand, I was like, Charlotte's going to defeat Natalia. I could see that happening. Oh, it's in Charlotte. Oh, yeah, never mind. She's winning the damn title. So, SmackDown Women's Championship match, Charlotte defeated Natalia. Charlotte uh, got Natalia to tap out with the figure eight to win the title. It was a good match back and forth. These ladies are both extremely experienced. I mean, one's a flare, the other one's a heart. What the hell do you expect? Flare placed uh, on this, uh, the SmackDown's team at Survivor Series now vacant. We do not know 
because they have not said if it's going to be uh, – uh, what's the rumor? Uh, Natalia, there's actually rumors going around that it might be Paige. But then again, there's been rumors about Paige coming back for a while now. All that matters is that after the match, Ric Flair helped Charlotte celebrate. It was a really great moment. Um, Charlotte really pretended she, you know, she, she was good at pretending she was surprised. But you could just tell the real emotion. And it was great seeing the nature boy, especially after all that shit. He looks great. You know, he looks like he put on some weight. So it was it was nice seeing him. Uh, it just sucks now because he's so old. It's like, it's it's not the same. It's like, we don't expect him to drop a promo or anything like that. It's just good seeing him. But regardless, Ric Flair came back. But how did you feel about that little segment with Dana Bryan and Shane McMahon and then Charlotte winning the title and Ric Flair reappearing for the first time? I think the Daniel Bryan, Shane McMahon thing is great. Uh, because they can go a couple different ways with it. They could have Shane McMahon slowly turn heel and maybe lean towards someone, say, like Kevin Owens in Sami Zayn, of how the company should be ran, which would be completely crazy. Um, and they could have Daniel Bryan pumping up someone like AJ Styles, and I feel like he can get some good feuds out of that. So I kind of like it. I like that they're doing it this way as opposed to how they do it on um, where there's like a little bit of headbutting on how things should be ran. Um, but not like that they're going to berate each other, you know. And then um, Charlotte Flair defeating Natalia. This was just a great moment. The amount of emotion that Charlotte poured out in her promo, you could tell she felt it for real. The You Deserve It chance really got to her because she's already won the title um, before. And you could tell it was more of just like her hometown crowd really loving her. Uh, I feel like she got the biggest pop of the night in general. Um, so for her to win this in her hometown, She's crowd, a it does a lot. And, and the match was good. Like it was a really good match. Probably, I would, I might even say maybe the best match of the night. Oh, Chris. Ooh, Ooh, so were so match, good. I have to say, I have to say <laughs> that are, are you also happy that you didn't have to see Charlotte uh, do a moonsault? at all in it. Like, she took a break. She went and att- attempted outside, but they, they ended up reversing it. Because one thing, it's like, I wish she didn't have to, like, do that one spot every single match because, I don't know, I, I just don't want to see her get hurt, obviously. I don't want to see her do that against anyone that can't catch her. And Natalia totally missed her ass last time um, at that pay-per-view. And the last person to missed her was Nia Jax. She almost broke her neck. Like the only person that can consistently catch her is like Bailey and Sasha, which makes no sense because they're fucking way no. smaller than than the other two. <laughs> um, so we're not gonna get into that, but uh, it was great, man. I enjoyed every moment of the match. I thought the match itself was good. I don't think it made Natalia look weak at all. I thought it was a good match. No, I do think Natalia will be part of Survivor Series. I don't think they're gonna bring. Uh, Page back yet. I think they're going to save it until they have a little bit of a lull where they need a pay-per-view pop. Survivor Series doesn't need it. Um, I know a lot of people are disappointed to hear that, but like, they're also not super stoked on Page in the WWE. <laughs> By the way, guys, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this. It's all so, a deal. <laughs> but uh, I would assume that, you know, obviously Natalia takes the place. Probably picked by... Uh, Shane McMahon. Um, you can further the feud with Daniel Bryan if you want to, but she's the former champion. Like, why would she not be on the team? 
Uh, and then, yeah, like, oh, and then Ric Flair coming out was just a great surprise. I kind of knew it was coming, even though they were, like, hinted at it not being a thing. I was like, there's no way. Like, Ric Flair's going to be there. And it was it was a super happy moment. And there was genuine emotion between both of them, and that's what makes these kind of things in wrestling great. Yeah. So, overall, it was it was my favorite match slash segment of the night, even though it wasn't the best match of the night. But it kind of edges into the best match of the night because it told the best story overall, I guess. I agree. If that makes All sense. right, we have we have no that that completely makes sense. I just love seeing Rick. That that, that was a that was a really great moment. All right, teared up a little bit. Um, so we have two more things that happened. Uh, first, Jey Uso defeated Chad Gable. It's a pretty good match. Uh, it just ended with Gable uh, dispatched. Jimmy Uso from the ring apron, and then Jay Pin Gable after a super kick. Um, not a bad match at all. Um, you know, just going from what happened the week before with Jimmy uh, rolling his leg. Luckily, he's doing better, and we will see the Usos go against the bar at Survivor Series. All right, so we have the last big thing that happened. The New Day came out to the ring and bragged about how they're going to defeat the Shield on Sunday. Uh, the New Day... <clears throat> Uh, no contest with uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. In the middle of the match, the Shields music hit, and they entered through the crowd. The New Day, Zayn, Owens stood united, and then Zayn and Owens bailed as the Shield attacked the New Day. The Usos came in to make the save, but Sheamus and Zaro entered through the crowd as well. In the back, Raw Women stormed the uh, SmackDown Women's Locker Room. More Raw superstars kept hitting the ring until Shane McMahon led the SmackDown locker room out to the back. Braun Strowman was a turning point as Raw laid out everyone uh, when Kurt Angle signaled for him to come in, his music hit, then delivered a shield triple bomb, or a shield triple powerbomb on Shane McMahon uh, after Kurt Angle gave the order. He then got him up, took off his jacket, gave him an angle slam, and when I thought that since Braun Strowman was in the ring for a reason, he was going to give him his power slam. Uh, instead, they gave him a triple uh, powerbomb once again from the Shield. It's weird seeing Braun and Roman so close to each other. Kind of wish they, uh, you know, with this whole entire thing, I wish that you wouldn't see Sin Cara and, and, um, and what's his name? The guy that we were just talking about a second ago. Bear Corbin. Corbin, so close. Yeah, so close together. Um, stuff like that, there's just mannerisms that guys could do. Even even if they don't tell them to do that, you know, to make it make sense a little bit, but it's whatever. I didn't really know why Braun Strowman was in the ring at that last point. I think there was, it's. I think he thought that he was supposed to slam him, and I think really he was supposed to, but it was lost in translation. Although it was amazing seeing Kurt Angle come out there, hit the music, Braun comes out, and then starts decimating people. Uh, I love that he's young, he's big, he's strong, and he's actually talented. Um, you know, very precise for his size. But, yeah, just a, just a fun ending and a good lead-up, I think, for the go-home show, the real go-home show for Survivor Series. Uh, Chris, what did you think? Well, I already said my thoughts about how I felt the ending was, but uh, the match beforehand I thought was pretty good. I think it shows that they kind of had this plan with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn to begin with, where they just took a powder. They just jumped out of the ring. I love that, dude. That was so they funny. Got home. Um, I feel like that's just where they're going with their characters. So them getting sent home, I don't think. I think that's going to be an angle more than anything else. 
Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. As far as the end of it, like I said, the problem was that AJ Styles wasn't there for me. Um, and that yep. Randy Orton wasn't there. They could have had them all come out and it had been an even match and then brought out Braun Strowman and Braun Strowman could have cleared the ring and it would have been more effective. Or they could have had the opposite way where they brought Braun Strowman out first and then like Randy Orton or AJ Styles came out and cleared the ring. Either way, you would have put one of those stars over bigger than what they ended up accomplishing. And what they ended up accomplishing was making it more about Shane McMahon and Kurt Angle, who aren't the biggest stars in that match. Or, or John Cena. Like, yep. I mean, very excellent points. Chris is a very smart booker. Honestly, and like Booker T. But uh, honestly, uh, if you want to hire either one of us, WWE, we can give you your numbers. Just contact us on Facebook off of Geek Fives Nation. But uh, let's go on for our predictions, Chris. Uh, let's let's quickly uh, not breeze over because I'm looking forward to Takeover. But uh, let's go over some of the matches for NXT Takeover War Games. Uh, first, we got Cassius Ono versus Lars Sullivan. This is put on this last week. Um, I think it'll be a fun match. I like Lars Sullivan as far as like a big. Strong hand. Um, he's not anything like too great. Cassie Zona is an excellent ring performer, especially for his size. So I think that this will actually be a pretty good match. I, for some reason, though, think they're going to put Lars over, which I think is dumb. I would rather Cassie's get a win, but that's kind of just how they've been treating him. How do you feel, Chris? I think that Cassius may get the win here. Um, I don't know what the booking around it would be but I feel like it's going to build up a second match. So it could be a shady win uh, or a dusty finish, so to speak, but I think Cassius might get the W here. That's my prediction. But, yeah, overall, I, li- I like both guys. Um, I've liked Cassius Onus- Ono since he was in Ring of Honors, Chris Hero, so it's hard for me to root against him. But uh, the WWE doesn't seem to have the same high opinion as a lot of his fans do. So who knows? Which sucks because they could definitely make something up. Cassie Sanoni is another one, like we were talking about earlier, who's a little bit older. So, you know, uh, hopefully he definitely gets more of a push, and I hope he does end up winning against Lars Sullivan. They've just been pushing Lars, this unbeatable monster, so we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, all right, our next match. So they have been weeks in the making, building up uh, really well by, by NXT, uh, especially with the segments of Velvet Team Dream being this – this villainous presence, and I just love it because he's androgynous, and he has a little bit of, of of gold dust in there, and he has a little bit of a, of a prince type of appeal to him. And I love the one part where Aleister Black, who he's competing with, was walking to the ring, and all of a sudden you see, you know, the audience react, but also him just come in the camera, Velveteen Dream, and attack Aleister Black. It's just been a great buildup so far. I think Aleister Black's going to win, though, inevitably. But they're going to have a couple of matches, um, and I'm really looking forward to this match. Uh, this might be number one. No, maybe it's number two after War Games because I'm interested in that. But it's definitely up there. How do you feel, Chris? I feel like I, I know that everyone's going to hate me for saying this, but I feel like Velveteen Dream needs to win here. And my reasoning behind this is you can't have every NXT star, NXT star have a winning streak. At some point, that storyline wears itself out. So whether Velveteen Dream cheeks the win or finds some shady way to victory, 
I think it gives you a redemption story for Aleister Black, and you can still put him over as an absolute monster. He's still going to be super over with the crowd. I think that he should take the pin on this one and then win the next two matches that they have. I actually have no problem with that because I agree with you about the whole undefeated concept. It just creates I, – I, honestly, like, not everyone needs to be flawless. Like, Aleister Black can still have a ridiculous presence – like he already does without being, you know, undefeated or defeated or anything like that. So um, if they do that, I love it because, I, like I said, these two guys specifically are the two dudes that I'm looking forward to, um, the most progressing as of right now because I think they have the most uh, to offer. They're both incredible athletes. They're both great gimmicks. They're both good on the mic. And Alistair Black, I didn't want him to talk. I was hoping that he would just stay, remain silent. But now he has, like, this, this Marlon Brando godfather type of vibe to him. And I just like both of them. I, I really think this is going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be serious matches. And I agree with you, Chris. If they end up having him lose, it's probably for the better. It just it creates that whole concept just to be gone. And they can focus on him being a great wrestler and go from there. But, all right, we have the NXT uh, Women's Championship. Cody Sane versus Peyton Royce versus Amber Moon versus Nikki Cross. I don't think it's elimination. I'm pretty sure it's just one pin. Uh, regardless, I think they're finally going to give it to Amber Moon. Um, it's either her or Carrie, Carrie Sane for the, for this. I don't think Peyton Royce is going to get it. A lot of people, maybe it was you, Chris, that actually thought that Peyton was going to win this. I just, I, I don't see it happening, and I can't see him giving it to Nikki Cross, even though I'd be fine with her having the title. Who do you think? Um, it wasn't me that thought Peyton Royce was going to win. I mean, if you're going to pick two, it's going to be Carrie Zane or Ember. Oh, it's, it's it's Brian Alvarez. That's who wants who thinks that Peyton's going to win. You guys, I like Peyton though. Royce. Um, her getting a cheeky win would be fun, especially if Carrie Zane doesn't eat a pin. But it, the thing about NXT that makes me nervous is they do go with this undefeated thing. So are they going to have Carrie Zane win? Like and keep the title. At some point, Ember Moon deserves the title. So, to me, I'm on the same page with you. I think Ember Moon wins the title and then drops it back to Carrie Zane and then moves up to the main roster um, because they really need her um, on the main roster. It sucks for NXT, but I think that like her last match with Asuka, even though Asuka got hurt, was fucking phenomenal. And uh, having that kind of talent at a top level where she can go against like a Becky Lynch or a Sasha Banks or a Charlotte Flair is really important um, for female wrestling. So I think that she's next up. So she needs to win the title and then drop it and then move on. Yep. Um, That's exactly what I think is going to happen. All right. We have the NXT championship next. Drew McIntyre versus Andretti Cien Almos. Um, You know, I, I actually... I like Drew McIntyre. I think he's a good promo uh, for his size. I think he's good in the ring, but I want Andretti to win. I, I think that would be, you know, even if he wins because of uh, his manager, like I really like him. I want to see him get a push. He's good in ring. I haven't heard that much English out of him besides like when he was doing the whole gimmick where he was partying with all the girls and would like, you know, tell off the uh, chick trying to interview him. But like, to me, he's someone you can do a lot with. And he's a good heel. So I hope he wins. I don't know if he will. He probably will lose Drew McIntyre, but I could see some heel shit going on uh, with Vega, you know, helping him win the match. Uh, what do you think, Chris? I, I agree with you. I could see him 
winning the title here, just because I don't think they're 100% sold on Drew McIntyre because of his past uh, in WWE. And I don't necessarily think that Drew McIntyre is a better gimmick or a bigger star than he could be. I could be completely wrong. Um, and if I am, good for WWE. But, like, to me, Drew McIntyre is the most boring NXT champion they've had. So that's that's my thoughts. I don't know, man. He just reminds me of Russell Crowe when he's doing his little things. Maybe it's actually not a good thing, but that's that's what I get in my head. But like, you can take a life, but you won't take me freedom. That's actually uh, Mel Gibson. But that's all right. Doesn't matter. All right, we have War Games. We have Sanity versus the Undisputed Era versus the Authors of Pain with Roderick Strong. Just to go over the rules. Um, this is actually WWE's version, but the three member teams will wage war inside a mass steel cage that surrounds two rings. Duh. All three teams will be con- uh, contained inside separate shark cages by the entranceway with the member from each team starting the match. All right, that's completely different war games. After five minutes, the remaining members from one team will be released from their shark cage and allowed to enter the match. When another three-minute period elapses, the remaining members from the second team are released from the Sark Cage and enter the match. Following another three-minute period, the final team members are released from their Shark Cage and enter the match. Once all three teams have entered war games, the match beyond begins, and the victory can be attained via pinfall or submission. Chris, based on these rules and the war games match, first, are you looking forward to the return of war games since we've had some... Pretty damn memorable ones for a good thing and also bad in the past. Uh, and also, between Sanity, the Undisputed Era, the Authors of Pain, Roderick Strong, which of those three teams do you think will win? Uh, I think Undisputed Era is going to get the win here, honestly. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be interesting. A lot of people are really sour on the rules, uh, but the rules change so much in WWE or WCW and NWA that I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's going to be a fun match. This will be better than most War Games matches. I think NXT will do it right. So put the worries aside and just really enjoy it. I agree. I think it will be pretty interesting. I think they've probably been working on this, and uh, I think it's going to be a good match. I'm looking forward to it. Well, we have to kind of tackle uh, Survivor Series a little bit faster since I'm an idiot with uh, being able to match my timing. So we'll just go through the first two matches. Chris, the uh, prelim match, and I'm sure there's going to be other matches besides this, but as of right now, the only uh, match on the two-hour entrance show. This is going to be such a long pay-per-view. Cruiserweight champion Enzo Amore versus Kalisto. Who do you think is going to win that? And also the first match... The Miz, the Intercontinental Champion, against Baron Corbin, the U.S. Champion. I believe, personally, Enzo Moore is going to retain the Cruiserweight title, and Baron Corbin is going to beat The Miz. I hope The Miz wins, but for some reason, I feel like Baron Corbin's probably going to win. What do you think? I have Enzo winning and Miz winning because of the Miz-Taraj, with uh, oh. Bo Dallas coming back and uh, Kurt coming back. Kurt Henning's son. Can't think of his name, right? Curtis Axel <laughs> coming back. Uh, so Bo, Bo Dallas coming back for the victory over Baron Corbin so he doesn't take a, a clean pin. But I don't think they want to ruin what Miz has going. So I feel like Miz is going to be. All right. Uh, we have Seamus and Cesaro, a.k.a. The Bar, 
the Raw Tag Team Champions, versus the Uso, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Who do you think will win out of the two of those teams? For, for some reason, I think this match will end up being a no contest. So uh, I think the Usos will get the better, and then either Sheamus or walk out of the ring, or Cesaro will walk out of the ring, or they'll get a double count out or something weird like that. I feel like this is going to be one of those bullshit matches that doesn't have a finish, but I think they're going to try to make the Usos look really good. I actually think that Sheamus and Cesaro is going to win. Uh, I could be wrong. I actually would prefer the Usos, but I feel like some, even though they're both heels technically, they're going to do Cesaro and Sheamus will play the heels in this specifically and do something heelish to win, but it will be a fun match because, I mean, at least Cesaro and the Usos are really good, and Sheamus can beat the crap out of things, so it'll be interesting. Hopefully, they can kick someone's face off. Alexa Bliss, the Raw Women's Championship, against Charlotte Flair. Woo! The SmackDown Women's Champion. Which one's winning, and do we have Carmella possibly coming out to defeat Charlotte for the title? I think that you might have Charlotte Flair winning the match with no Alexa Bliss, or not no Alexa Bliss appearance, but uh, no, no appearance by Carmella because she's coming on later in this video. Um, if she could cash in on the Raw Championship, you might have her win the championship here, which would be weird. That would and be awesome could, if they did that. And then you could do the thing where Carmella's champ, so she can't be in the Survivor Series match, and then you get your surprise page. That would make the most sense if they're going to do surprise page. All right. Well, I, I like that idea, and I hope that actually happens. But I agree. Charlotte's going to win, and Carmella's probably not going to cash in, but I would love her to cash in for Raw. Um, the Shield versus the New Day. Chris, the match that Dane predicted is what I would call it. Who do you think is going to win between these three O's? I think the Shield's going to win. I think it would actually be really dumb if the New Day won, even though I love the New Day. I think the New Day is going to – I think the match is going to be a lot closer than people think it's going to be, and I think the New Day is going to lose because of Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Okay. I could definitely see that. All right. So we have the women's five match, elimination match. We have Alicia Fox, Nia Jax, Asuka, Sasha – uh, Banks and Bailey versus Becky Lynch, Carmella, Naomi, Tamina, and a surprise fifth member, probably an Italian, maybe Paige. Who do you think is going to win regardless, Chris? I honestly, I can't. The Raw team is going to win because they have Asuka. I just don't see them making Asuka take a loss in a match or a pin. Unless which eventually Asuka she would have goes like, I agree. Because unless Asuka goes like apeshit crazy and starts like, going outside and beating the shit out of people, and, like, they, like, I don't know, DQ or something. I mean, she's got to be the last person. She's got to win. Uh, they've kind yeah, of and, that and I mean, when you when you build it up where you have Goldberg tweeting about it and shit, like, Oscar's not taking it in here. This is not the match. They're going to save that for down the line. I agree. And, by the way, the uh, Goldberg 24, very, very, or I think it's 24. It was actually a really good documentary. I recommend watching it. Makes you like Goldberg a lot more. He's actually seems like a nice, gentle guy, but uh, he's got some aggression issues. But anyways, uh, let's go. Men's five-on-five Survivor Series elimination match. We have Raw's team, Kurt Angle, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, Smojo, and Triple H versus SmackDown's team. Shane McMahon, John Cena, Randy Orton, Shinsuke, and Bobby Roode. So, um, I think that SmackDown's going to win because it's going to be turmoil between Kurt Angle and Triple H at some point in this match, and it's going to cost some shit. 
What do you think? Uh, I'm on the same page with you. Uh, I think it could go either way. If you don't get Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn earlier in the night, you might get them here. And it could be just against Team Raw, um, setting up Triple H versus uh, Kevin Owens. Or you could get Kurt Angle. Just like I said, Triple H is the last person Kurt Angle gives him the angle slam. And then someone like Sinsuke gets a pin or Shane McMahon gets a pin if Shane McMahon outlasts everybody else, which would be a very interesting finish to watch, you know, Shane McMahon pin Triple H, and it could set up a, a, a bunch of feuds off of that as well. So I think that might be a way to go. As well. Either way, I feel like um, I feel like SmackDown is going to end up getting the win here. I think there's a lot of ways they could go with that. It'd be very interesting. All right, and the last match, Brock Lesnar, Universal Champion versus AJ Styles, WWE Champion. I think it's actually going to be a much better match than what we're going to get before, and I think that Brock's going to work with AJ, but inevitably Brock will win with one F5 to AJ Styles to build up himself for Mania. Do you agree with me? You don't I, have think much time I think the AJ Styles gets the win here, honestly. Oh! It'll, and I think it'll be on the calf crusher, like a submission win. I would love for that to happen. I don't see it happening, but hey, who knows? But uh, we don't have much time. I just want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, Chris, as always. You guys have a good one. And enjoy wrestling this weekend. Get back to us next week and let us know how you thought it. Peace out, guys. See you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.